Hello and welcome to the Badges Podcast, brought to you by the British Association for Japanese Studies. I'm your host, Oliver Moxon. I'm an MA student at the University of East Anglia, studying cultural heritage and museum studies, with a focus on the role of language in interpreting transnational war heritage in Japan. It was through the Badges 2018 conference in Sheffield that I, as a young undergraduate, had my first opportunity to present research and had my first taste of academia. Now, as we begin to glimpse an end to the COVID-19 pandemic and its restrictions, which have forced all academic get-togethers online, now seems like a good time to ask the question, what comes next? Today, we'll be learning about the Badges Japan chapter from the director Robert Aspinall, professor in the Center for Global Education at Doshisha University in Kyoto, where he is in charge of social science subjects taught in the medium of English. Robert will explain Japan chapter's goals in bringing PhD students together, giving them the opportunity to travel to conferences in Japan and how the Japan chapter has adapted to the pandemic restrictions. We hope you enjoy the show. Good afternoon, Robert. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So let's start off with introductions. What is your role in Badges and what are your research areas? My role currently is the director of the Badges Japan chapter. Before that, I was just an ordinary member. I joined in 1994 as my first year of my uh, PhD, and I've been a regular member since then. I've attended conferences and so on, but this is my first proper position on the council. My research interest, to put it simply, is politics of education. My PhD, which brought about my first book, was about Japan Teachers Union. And since then, I've looked at education policy to do with uh, international policy like foreign languages and also international exchange, study abroad, that kind of thing. And I'm currently working on a comparative study of high schools in England and Japan that are boys-only schools, and I'm interested in class and gender, and I'm using a comparative method in that case. So that's me. Great. So tell us about the Badges Japan chapter. What does it arrange within Badges, and what are its goals? Yeah, so the Badges Japan chapter was founded by Philip Seaton in 2009. It was his brainchild. He kind of uh, went with it, learning as he went along. And the first time I heard about it, I was very happy to hear it because it seems to me it solves two problems. It kind of kills two birds with one stone, which are problems for people studying in the medium of English and researching and doing conferences in the medium of English in Japan. And the two different problems that were resolved are, firstly, giving PhD students and other research students or early career people a bit of a connection to other people who are in the same boat as them. Uh, It can be quite a lonely business doing a PhD. And if you come to Japan, especially if you're not in a major area like Tokyo or Kansai, you can get a bit isolated. and, And doing a PhD is something where it does help a lot if you can commiserate and uh, share and uh, talk to people who are in the same boat as you are. So one of the purposes that uh, Philip talked about, which I thought was great, is bringing together PhD people who are doing their field work in Japan and also other people who are in in Japan for for research purposes, but maybe based in Europe or in the UK, have some connection to a British university. That's one purpose. The second purpose comes more from my previous job. I'm currently a professor at Doshisha University in Kyoto. Before that, I was uh, working for Shiga University in Hikone, 
I was a professor in the Faculty of Economics there. And one of the problems I had, I, I, was, I was the only native English-speaking professor in the faculty. One of my jobs is to organize speakers and symposiums and so on in the medium of English, because the university wanted to have a more international profile. Rather than doing everything in Japanese, they wanted to have speakers and guests and, and having conversations and research meetings in English. The big problem I found the time I was there is when you invite someone, and I actually over the years invited quite a few Badgers people who, who are known, especially to older people in Badgers, like Glenn Hook, Reinhard Drifter, Peter Matanley, um, and so, um, who else? Hiroko Takeda. These are all people who are Badgers people. And I invited them to give a talk in Shiga University in Hikone. The problem every time was getting an audience who would be prepared to listen to an academic presentation in the medium of English. And it was sometimes a struggle to get you know, enough people to make it so it wasn't so embarrassing that you had at least a few people <laughs> in there. The great thing about what Philip was doing and proposing, and which I've now taken over, is, I mean, this is all pre-pandemic, of course, when people moved around physically, but you could pay for PhD people you pay their travel within Japan and maybe one night's accommodation. And you could bring them to somewhere like Shiga University, which is a little bit off the beaten track. It's actually not too hard to get to, but it's not in the, one of the major centers like Tokyo. And so get them to go to an event in somewhere like Shiga. And they're there for two purposes. They're there to help to create a, a proper event with significant numbers rather than just a few people. And we also can make a PhD workshop. And so the first time I actively got involved in the Japan chapter was 2014, when I was still at Shiga then, and I organized with Philip an event where you had a symposium and a keynote speaker on the Saturday afternoon. You then went to a restaurant Saturday evening. The PhD people were paid for to come and to stay overnight in Hikone. Sunday morning was a special PhD workshop where they presented how they were doing with their research. And also more experienced people could give them some feedback and some advice and just have a general sharing of ideas about what you do with a PhD. So it worked very well. And that was the kind of model. When Philip stepped down from being the director of the Japan chapter, I kind of put my hand up to, to take over because that I think that worked very well in Hikone, in Shiga. And I can see we doing the same kind of model. There were also quite a few other events that I, that I took part in that I wasn't the organizer, but I joined one in Aichi University, which is, is a smaller scale, but it was a very good event. And it really helps to address those two issues. I think Philip also realized when he looked around, there's an awful lot of British or British connected people who are here in Japan full time, like me and him and, and many others as well as the people who are based in a UK university, but who are in Japan a lot for doing fieldwork. The regular Badgers conference is, is, um, takes place, of course, in the UK, in the UK university, but it made sense to have some operation, nothing on the scale of a Badgers conference. Like I mentioned, a symposium over two days or just one event with a couple of speakers. But doing that kind of thing in Japan and getting people together who are connected Final point, it's also not a bad way to recruit people into badges who might not have joined before they came to Japan. 
and then they come over here and take part in an event. If a PhD student wants to get funding, they have to join, but it's, it's very cheap for a PhD student. So they get their money back pretty much from getting the funding to attend and to get overnight uh, accommodation if it's necessary. So that's the main purpose and role I see for the Badgers Japan chapter. Yeah, that's great. I think that the further you get into um, postgraduates and independent research, I think you can subconsciously get into the idea of, you know, what you have to work on your own and that can lead to people bicycling themselves almost. So it's great to know that there are these initiatives to bring fellow PhD students together. So turning to Badgers conferences, I was lucky enough to attend the 2018 Badgers conference in Sheffield and was amazed by the wide range of nationalities amongst presenters and the research interests they presented. In a typical year, can you give us a sense of what would be on the roster? Uh, yeah, I, that's quite a difficult question because I don't, I'm not sure what a typical year is. The, <laughs> the very first Badgers conference I went to in 1995, I was still in my first year PhD. And I remember I was surprised how many presentations there were about religion from various points of view, anthropology and also religious studies people. And then I found when I made a presentation in, in Oxford Brookes University the following year, there was a, quite a, a different group of people. So, it, I mean, broadly speaking, it's the social sciences and the humanities. And the, as you said, the people participating could be from all, all around the world. I mean, Europe, North America, Australia, Japan, of course, Asia, other parts of Asia. But they, the only thing that gives them a connection is they have some connection with a British university. Or they may be in Britain for a sabbatical or for some other reason, and they join in the conference for that reason. But it could be all kinds of things. And I think, as uh, Christopher Hood, the president, mentioned in the last uh, podcast, the, they have a cycle of conferences when things go back to normal with the uh, post-pandemic of having one conference, which is Japanese only, badges only, in one year. The following year, there'll be a combined Japanese studies, Chinese studies, Korean studies. And then the following year, the main focus will be on the EAJS, European Association for Japanese Studies. I actually, for various reasons, wasn't able to attend the European ones until the one that was supposed to happen last year. And I'm, I'm, I was supposed to give a presentation. And of course, that's now going to take place this year and it's going to be online. So I don't get to visit the lovely city of Ghent in Belgium, which is where it's going to take place. But in a normal year or in a normal three-year cycle, that would be the routine. And really, when you get the schedule of events, you get to know some people very well who are constant or they do presentations very regularly or they're part of a project like uh, Peter Matanley's project on uh, population and so on. And uh, you'll see that presentation, various stages in that project. But um, you've got pretty much a wide, almost any aspect of Japanese studies. If you look at the Japan Forum Journal, you also see there all the different areas covering literature, popular culture, politics, security, international relations. In my own case, I've taken part in panels that have been mostly focused on education. And I've also taken part in panels that have been more focused on politics. And it's a very, very interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary experience. But it's very hard to know in advance what the actual makeup is going to be. You just have to look at the schedule when it comes out. But I'm sure when we go back to normal post-pandemic there's going to be a massive um, surge of interest because of all the people who've been, been frustrated by not being able to give their papers face-to-face -face with their live audience. I think they're going to be 
wanting to do that. So I, I would imagine there's going to be a whole variety of people who are keen to present. And the same for the Badgers chapter, when we don't have a live event organized at the moment because of the uncertainty. And as you know, Japan has been quite slow with the vaccine. And there's a problem with the Olympic Games. Well, I mean, it looks like it's going to go ahead, but there's all kinds of worries about that taking place in July and August. So it's very hard to see much happening this calendar year in Japan, except it would, all, it would all happen virtually. So I think when the pandemic finally lifts, you're going to see a big surge of pent-up enthusiasm that's going to take place. That, that should be something to look forward to. Yeah, I think there's definitely going to be a lot of demand. So in November last year, you helped to organize the online conference based at Kyushu University in Fukuoka titled Contesting and Memorializing Sites of Heritage. Could you give us a rundown on the challenges and perhaps the benefits of an online conference as opposed to an in-person one? Yes, that, that, the main organizer of that is a, a gentleman called Ted Boyle, who's based there in, in uh, Kyushu University. And he organized actually in, in the year 2020, three separate um, events that were all on related themes um, to do with heritage and borders and memory. And there was part of a very big project involving um, researchers from all over Asia. And my um, role was trying, trying to get some of the Badger's money to feed into that, to, to co-sponsor it. And I do remember it being frustrating because the first one took place in July last year. And during the organizing stage, it was assumed it would be a normal conference. As you know, the, the kind of pandemic started in January, started to get really bad in February. And then in March, all the schools were closed and so on. So they suddenly had to change to make that entirely online. I was not one of the organizers of that, but I participated in it. And considering that they had to do it so quickly, it actually worked very well. And the next two, there was one in August and one in November. And it was probably, you remember this, it was frustrating because you thought you maybe have, would have a chance to do a hybrid conference where some people would be able to go physically to Kyushu. And if that was the case, then Badgers could sponsor them to do that. And sometimes people had to wait really to quite, quite close to the actual event to say, no, it's not possible. It's just there are too many risks involved. So in the end, all three were online. Uh, it's kind of frustrating because Badgers has some money to spend on uh, helping PhD and early career people. And in that case, they would have been going to Kyushu, which um, may have been a chance for them to physically go there and not just take part in the event, but maybe have a chance to meet some of the people down there and even do a bit of sightseeing or, or visit some of the places of historical interest there. Because I, I just want to add uh, another point that occurred to me about giving money to people to make them more mobile, because... When we had the one in Hikoni, which, which I mentioned, which, which was a real live physical event, Tom Gill, who's also a British researcher in, in Japan, he and his wife came and they had a great time. And he said later to me, he said, I, I'd forgotten what a lovely place Hikoni is. So you're not just doing the functional thing of paying someone to go from place A to place B. You're giving people an opportunity to travel, especially if you're a PhD person on a tight budget. You're giving an opportunity to travel maybe to a part of Japan they haven't been to before, or maybe they've been, but they didn't have a chance to properly look around. So helping people to move around geographically is another useful function. So that was the plan at the start of 2020. I mean, the conference in the end was extremely well attended, but it would have been to, to get PhD people to go to all three conferences. And in the end, it just didn't happen. So 
and this year as well, as we, as we all know, is pretty much everything is online. And I've got used to attending and uh, giving presentations online. And as you know, it's you you can get a bigger audience, uh, and also as an attender, you can attend more things that you wouldn't physically be able to get to in a normal course of event. It's going to be interesting to see what what happens after the whole thing's over. And how many places adopt a hybrid method, where they have a live audience in the room, but they also simultaneously broadcast to people on Zoom? Now that people got so used to this technology and it's so easy to use, I think that's going to be a feature going forward. But I, to be frank, the events I've taken part in, either presenting or as a guest, have um, worked pretty well, in my opinion. But what, what you don't get, just to make one more point. When you're when everybody is online, you're all listening to this person talk. You ask a couple of questions, and then the the host says, "Okay, that's it. It's over." They click, turn off the whole thing, and that's it. You know, you you can email people, of course, and you can do other things, but you're not. It's over. And one of the great things about academic conferences is after the presentation's finished, the social side of it. And I think most people, and especially I think the younger people who trying to maybe meet people and make some contacts, get to know other people. The social part is really important. That again is when I organized the one in Shiga, I made sure we booked a restaurant for the Saturday evening after the keynote speaker, Koichi Nakano, who also has a British connection because he did his PhD at Oxford. But he, um, after he finished, we, we had an event, uh, just a social event in a restaurant. And then people who wanted to could go to a bar after that. And that's something we don't have right now uh, yeah. with people have kind of chat rooms and, and breakout rooms and they can have breakout spaces and places that people can go to in some conferences, but it's not the same as just having a, a drink and having a, a meal. That's something which I, I made sure that was part of the plan. And, and that's what, and also the PhD people were staying overnight in Hikone so they could take part in that. And well, I'm looking forward to, Looking forward to going back to that kind of arrangement, uh, which at the moment and probably for the remainder of this calendar year, it's really hard to see us going back to that. And so, you know, let's look forward to 2022. We can start getting those things organized again. Yeah, definitely. So when are you hoping to return to in-person conferences for badges? And is there anything you will incorporate in future conferences from the online alternatives we have grown accustomed to over the past year? Yeah, that's a sixty-four thousand dollar question. Um, <laughs> I'm not after the experience of uh, last year. At the moment, I don't have anything planned for the calendar year 2021. Now, looking at the vaccine rollout and everything else, and as I mentioned, the, the European meeting in August is going to be entirely online, and so the whole world is kind of online. Uh, although people are talking in the UK of going back to normal in the summer, socially speaking. There's still so many things that are uncertain. There is a, an anthropology group that I'm a member of, even though I'm not an anthropologist, but I, I can hang out with them, which is called Anthropology of Japan in Japan. And they usually have a meeting in December. And I, last December, offered them the same deal, the same to sponsor people who wanted to go there. That was supposed to take place in Meiji Gakuen in Tokyo, and where it took place online, like everything else. So... I mean, that was a pre-existing um, organized event. An actual Badgers Japan event, uh, I don't have a plan right now. I'm looking forward to 2022, and I've got an idea 
for an event in Nagoya, which is still very much in the idea stage. And I'm hopeful that just by looking at the the vaccine rollout and other things, that in 2022 we'll be able to do something. But at the moment, that's just an idea that I'm kicking around. If you want more information, look at the Badgers Japan chapter section of the Badgers website. So at the moment, there's there, there's only information there is about past events. But when I do get something that just looks like it will actually take place, then I'll put that up. And that's hopefully, I'll be able to put something up maybe after the summer, and we'll have a much better idea of what's going on. But the Badgers chapter didn't do this every year, but um, what Philip tried to do when, when he set it up was have an event in the autumn and an event in the spring. And one of them really just quite small, uh, maybe just a few people with it having one meeting. And the other one a bit more like the one that I did in Shiga, where you'd have quite a, a lot of people attending. And I should also mention the Shiga one was co-sponsored by the Risk Research Centre at Shiga University Faculty of Economics, which I was the deputy director of that at the time. And they provided a budget as well. They, they paid for Koichi Nakano, the, the keynote speaker. And also the university provided all the rooms uh, for free. So that, that kind of collaboration where you've got a Japanese university that wants to have an English language event. And there's growing demand for that. If you look around the various universities and you read the literature on higher education reform in Japan at, at present, there's more EMI courses, uh, courses that are taught in the medium of English. There are more programs for global, uh, global Jinzai, global uh, human resources. And there's a lot of demand for events that are held in the medium of English here on Japanese soil. And so matching up um, the sponsorship of the Badgers Japan chapter with the funding of a place like the Shiga University Center, putting those two together can make quite an interesting event. And I've got some ideas um, for next year, but at the moment, still too difficult to predict what the dates and the events are. So I'm going to be putting stuff up when I do have more detailed information but that's probably not going to be until after the Olympics. The Olympics is going to be a major event in Japan this year. And I think everyone's hoping that it goes safely and it goes well. And then by the time that's over, Japan could start thinking about getting back to normal. I mean, let's hope so. Yeah, I think the Olympics will be quite a watershed moment in terms of getting back to some form of normality again. So this past year has been tough for all of us, but especially so for early career scholars deprived of such opportunities to expand their network at these conferences. What assistance will Badgers provide once in-person conferences resume? Yes, I mean, Badgers already has the name list of everyone on it, so they'll they'll get shared information. Again, the physical opportunity to meet people and hang out, just to repeat that point, because it is so important. Because I'm thinking about when I did my PhD, there was such a thing as email, but it was only from one university to another university. You know, you had to go into the university to use the email and there was nothing, there was no mobile access to the internet. And I think the actual idea of an internet didn't quite exist yet. And so I got really lucky because I arrived in Tokyo, not really sure who I was going to be able to meet up with. I was a visiting researcher at Tokyo University. So there were obviously lots of people there. But my supervisor, Kato Junko, a political scientist, she told me there was a group, a PhD Kenkyukai, that met every month in an international house in Rapongi. 
And I went there and met up with some really great people I was still in touch with, like David Laney, Andrew DeWitt. Also, I, I could reconnect with Jonathan Lewis, who's a British uh, professor who is now in Hitotsubashi, and by coincidence was in the same school as me on the JET program. And that's, that's how we both came to Japan. He came in 1987, and then in 89, he left, and I took over, and I moved into his flat, and he sold me his vacuum cleaner. So uh, it's interesting who, who came to Japan, which British people came to Japan via JET, because um, a lot of people, I think Jonathan and I probably would not have come to Japan if it hadn't been for that. So, but coming back to the Ken Kyukai, that was so useful and so important. And it is um, a very lonely job being a PhD researcher. It's probably, well, maybe not as bad now because of all the connection you can make so quickly and instantly online. But you still get cases of people can be isolated and human contact, real, you know, face-to-face, real human contact. You know, there's no substitute for that, really. So that kind of monthly meeting that I had when I was a PhD student in Tokyo was incredibly important and useful. Now, we're not going to do monthly meetings, but if we can set up once the pandemic is over, maybe once, once a semester, twice a year meetings for PhD people, then that's going to be a benefit. And if we can recruit a couple of badges members in the process, that's all to the, all to the good. But that, that is so important. It's just having a chance to not just to talk shop with other PhD people, but to get to know them and relax you probably find that like myself and these people from the Rapongi Kenkyukai, you know, people you meet in, when you're doing research in Japan, you keep in touch with them for the duration of your career. So that, that kind of contact's harder to make when it's entirely online. To actually meet someone and hang out and get to know them face-to-face is, is much better if, if, you, if you have the opportunity. So I think Badgers Japan twice a year give people that opportunity to get together and uh, hopefully that's going to be useful. Yeah, definitely sounds like a good opportunity. Thanks for joining us today, Robert. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. You can find out more about the Badgers Japan chapter at its website, badgers.org.uk. Follow us on Twitter at Badgers17 for updates on upcoming events and episodes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>